Thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. Here at Velocity, we love to hear about how lives are changed. And if that's you, let us know and send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now enjoy today's message. We are wrapping it up and we, we've learned so much. We've got one more week of this and we've looked at a lot of different things. Uh, we've learned how to pass the test of small things. We've learned how to do the right things for the right reasons, the test of motivation. We've talked about credibility and how others view you. We've talked about the offense test last week with Pastor Kevin. I'm so glad we had that one last week. We've talked about the wilderness, all these different things and what it means to be tested, how God wants to take us from one thing to the next thing. And, uh, you know, if you've been paying attention and going along through the book or maybe you've been in a group, you probably noticed that we're not going to finish every test in the book. But that's the great thing about being in a group is that if you're in a group, you can take part and go through these other tests and Even if you're part of a group, you can also do what we've been doing and just take the message on Sunday and begin to talk it over and apply it to your life. That's what makes the messages so powerful, by the way, is when you begin to apply them to your life, especially when you get with other people and you're talking about how it's applying to your life and they're sharing how it's applying to their life, it helps you live it out. It helps it take down root into your soul. It's one of the great things about being in a group. And uh, as we're going through this today, we're gonna talk about passing the authority test. And I'm glad we talked about offense last week because if you get offended at this message, I'm just gonna tell you don't drink the poison. And uh, the, the truth is, of all the messages, I think this one has perhaps the most potential uh, to be offensive, it has the most potential to be challenging because, at, at least for me, because this test comes to prove your attitude for the authority that God has put in your life. And I want to set this up today by getting straight into Scripture. And the Scripture that I want to read to you is found in Matthew chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible with you, we're going to put the words on the screen so we can all follow along together. And Matthew chapter 8, it's pretty well known. Uh, In it, if you read, uh, Jesus works a lot of miracles. He just came down from giving the Sermon on the Mount, one of his most famous sermons. And Matthew 8 and really Matthew 9, uh, they detail his power and his authority through numerous miracles that he works. It's really easy, fun to read, fascinating chapter. But what I want to look at today, I want to look at it through a slightly different perspective than perhaps most people look at it. Lots of times when you look at this passage, people are looking at the authority of Jesus, his authority over demons, his authority over sickness and disease, his authority over nature, and all that's in there. But I want to look at it, instead of looking at the authority of Jesus, I want to look at the submission of a man. And we're going to begin this in verse 5, Matthew chapter 8, says this, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help, and he said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go and he goes, and that one, come and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed 
said to those following him, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Now, I love this story for so many reasons. Not only does it demonstrate the power of God and how God's word has real power to change your life, to change your situation, whatever it is you're facing, whatever it is you're going through, whether it's something physical, whether it's something on the inside, God's word can change your life. I love it for that reason, but there's also so much leadership truth in this passage. And what we're gonna look at today and learn together over the next few moments, I'm telling you, it is gonna help you in your marriage. It is gonna help you in your relationships. It is gonna help you in school. It is gonna help you at work. It's gonna help you with your family. It is gonna help you with your leadership. It's gonna help you with God's call on your life, with your purpose. There is that much truth in this passage. And so if you're excited about this and ready to get into this, would you say amen? Let me know you're with me this morning. All right, I love a church that's with me. I'm calling this message today, Submitted for Your Approval. Submitted for Your Approval. And it's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. I know that I need his help, and I believe that if you're here, there's a good chance you need his help too. So would you just bow your head with me? I'm gonna say a prayer, and we'll get into this message today. God, thank you so much for your word and for your truth. And Lord, we know every time we open up your word and we read it and we hear it, it has the opportunity to change our lives. And so God, we wanna invite you into this moment And invite you, God, to change us, to speak to us, to show us the areas where we need to change. And God, enlighten your word to our life and to our path and to all the things that we're facing. God, help us today. I believe you will. I know you will. And everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm curious, how many of you would consider yourself Rule followers. Anybody a rule follower? That's good. All the rule followers are raising your hands. That's that's what you do. You're a rule follower. Um, Anybody, I guess those of you who didn't raise your hand, would you say you tend to be more of a rule breaker? Rule breakers? Can I just see where you're at? I just want to know where the sinners are at So when I'm talking to you. Um, You know, I'm not condemning you if you're a rule breaker. Um, The truth, I think we need both, rule followers and rule breakers for progress. We need rule followers to help us move forward, keep things from getting into chaos, things staying organized. We need rule followers in our life, right? But at the same time, we need some rule breakers because rule breakers help take you past what you thought your limitations were. So I'm thankful for rule breakers. But, uh, you know, it may be no surprise to you, in our marriage, my wife and me, in our marriage, Uh, I tend to be more of the rule breaker. My wife is the rule follower. She is a rule follower to a T. You know, like for me, um, if we're setting up Ikea furniture, I'm just like, ah, instructions, we don't need those. We'll figure it out as we go along. You know, if if I'm like making something, uh, making dinner at home, which that really involves like, you know, putting a pizza in the oven. It's like, I don't need to know what the directions say. You know, those are just suggestions. They're not really something that you need to follow along. Uh, I tend to be more of the rule break. My wife is the rule follower. So much so that, can you believe she has never even had a moving violation in her life? That makes me sick if you wanna know the truth about it. Do not clap for that. No, do not clap for that. She will get puffed up with pride more than she already is. 
It's so funny though, uh, because there was one time that she did get pulled over and I was with her when that happened. I thought, this, this may be the best day of my life. I cannot wait for this to happen. She got pulled over. Needless to say, she didn't get a ticket. She still has a flawless record. But what's funny about that is in the event that I am with her in the car and she's driving and there's a police officer that's coming behind her, she starts freaking out. Like she just, like she thinks she's doing something wrong. I'm like, babe, it's okay. You are the most cautious driver that I know. Like you go one mile under the speed limit just to give yourself some cushion. You know, it like doesn't happen. And uh, it, it's funny. And by the way, you know, this message is not about officers and cops. If you are, we love you. Glad you're here. Glad you protect us. If you could give my wife a ticket when this is over, I'd appreciate that. It'd be good for our marriage. Um, just, you know, just don't want her to get puffed up with pride. But what I'm trying to say is, Regardless of whether you're a rule follower or a rule breaker, what's interesting is that neither one usually like the idea of authority. As a rule breaker, I want to break the rules. As a, as a rule follower, sometimes you get concerned that you're going to step out. You get concerned that you might break the rules. And I want to tell you that in every endeavor of society, there is a genuine need for an authority structure. Now, what that authority looks like is dependent upon the system that needs it. In some cases, that authority might look like a chain of command. In some cases, that authority might look like an org chart. It might be denoted by a title or a position or a uniform. Uh, some cases, that authority might look like a, a board of leaders or a group of leaders that makes decisions, however it looks, what I'm trying to tell you is that authority is designed by God to be the solution to chaos. Authority is designed by God to be the solution to chaos and healthy authority always accomplishes that goal. Now, unfortunately, we can all think of plenty of instances in our lives where we've come across bad authority. And because we've come across bad authority, we've seen authority go wrong, we see the disastrous results of it. Uh, maybe we've seen bad governments. Maybe we've seen bad leaders, bad pastors, bad teachers, bad refs. Just let that one sit there for a minute. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, we've seen examples of bad authority. And because we've seen so many instances of bad authority, we think authority in general is wrong and we often try to resist authority. But I wanna be clear to you today that authority is God's idea. In fact, why don't you just say that with me? Authority is God's idea. For example, we know that there's parents that are horrible parents, parents that neglect their children, parents that abuse their children, parents that don't love and care for their children. But that doesn't mean that all parents are bad or parents are wrong. Parents are God's plan and God's design for raising children. God's idea is authority. So authority is not bad. And when you reject authority, what you're doing is you're rejecting God. You're rejecting him. Now in the text today, we come across a centurion. A centurion is a leader. A centurion is the guy in charge. He is used to barking orders. He is used to being in command. In fact, you might not know this, but a centurion was in charge of 100 soldiers. 
That's a lot of people to be responsible for. It makes sense if you think about it. Centurion, like century, century, a hundred years. Centurion was in charge of 100 soldiers and he's used to being the boss. But what I noticed is that this boss comes to Jesus because he has a need. And it's worth pointing out that regardless of wherever you land on the pay scale, regardless of how many employees you have or how many companies you run or how many followers you have on Instagram, there is always going to come a point in your life where you need to appeal to a higher authority. And so this centurion comes to Jesus because he's got a need in his life and he says, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Now, if I knew nothing else about Jesus, this alone would be reason enough for me to love him. Because the moment he hears about a sick servant, his first response is, oh, let me help him. Let me heal him. Show me where he's at. Lead me to him. I, I wanna take care of this guy. I, I love the fact that Jesus' first response is to help somebody in need. And that's what I want our church to be. That's the kind of church this is, that if you're jacked up, this is the place to come because Jesus will come to you and he will help you out. I wanna be part of a church that is the kind of place that Jesus is here to help you, that if your life is a mess, God cares about you, that if you're hurting, he can heal you, that if you're weak, he can strengthen you. That's why I love about Jesus, and that's what we see in this text. But what's interesting is what happens next because it doesn't play out like you would expect. This guy comes to Jesus. God, I, I need help. Jesus, I need help. Jesus says, hey, I, I'm here to help you. Let, show me where he's at. But look what the centurion said. He says, Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. Now, it may be helpful to understand what's going on here with the context of the culture of the day. You see, Jesus was a Jew. Centurion was a Roman soldier. He was a Gentile. And according to the Jewish customs and laws of the day, the religious laws of the day, for Jesus to enter into a Gentile's house, he would have become ceremonially unclean. Basically what that is, that is like religious cooties, okay? So he's gonna get there and... He's gonna to have to go through this whole process to become purified, except interesting thing about this, right before this, Jesus just healed a leper, so that's really not a problem for Jesus. But what I'm saying is this man knew this. He knew that Jesus was a Jew and that he was a Gentile, and so he doesn't wanna put Jesus out by bringing him into his house. And so he comes up with another solution, and he tells us why. He says, for I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And in case you're not familiar with this story exactly, Jesus did exactly what the centurion said. He spoke a word, and from that moment, the centurion's servant was healed. And this is an awesome story. Such power in this story. It's worth knowing that this has never been done before, by the way. Like if you read through the Gospels, up until this point, Jesus has not done any long-distance miracles. 
Like he has always been physically present. Like he'll speak a word to somebody, he'll lay his hands on somebody, he'll give a command to somebody, he'll spit on the ground, rub it in his eyes, you know, tell somebody to do something. But he's never like sent one of these text message miracles. Like, and it says that Jesus marveled after this. In case you don't know, Jesus is a hard guy to impress. He made the world. Like, I don't know what it was like, like if he was looking at his disciples, like, why didn't you guys think of this? This could have saved so much time. Think about the scale with it. We could go so far with this. I don't know what it's like, but I I like this story because we see Jesus' response. I like this story because we see the power of God present. I I like this story because we see the faith of the centurion. But as cool as the story is, I want to suggest to you that it wasn't the size of the centurion's faith that sent him home with a miracle. I would tell you it was the scope of his submission. And that's what I want to zero in on. And here's the first point that I want you to write down. Is that power isn't in exercising your authority, but in exhibiting your submission. See, there's strength in submission. We don't hear a lot about this in our culture today. We bristle up against the idea of, I'll tell you, we don't even hear about submission in church. We hear a lot about leadership. We hear a lot about purpose. We hear a lot about calling. We hear a lot about your gifts and all that. And I believe in all that. I love all of that. God has a call and a purpose on your life. God wants you to make a difference in the world. I believe that you are a leader. Even if you don't see yourself that way, I believe that you are. You are a leader. All of that is true. But what I see in this text is that this centurion received this miracle, not because he knew what it was to be in charge, but because he knew what it was to submit. Let's look at this again. Verse nine, he says, for I myself am a man under authority. See, that's what caught my attention because this would have made a lot more sense to me if he went to Jesus and said, look, Jesus, yeah, I get this because I myself I'm a guy in authority. That's not what he said. I know what it's like to be in charge, Jesus. I have 100 people under me. I know what it's like to be in authority. But he didn't say that. He said, I know what it's like to be under authority. I know what it's like to be submitted. This guy who was a big deal, this guy who was used to barking orders, He came to Jesus with a request, and he didn't exert his authority. He exhibited his submission. And a lot of us are resisting the authority that God has put in our life because we think submission is a sign of weakness. We think that submission is a sign of frailty. Well, we don't understand the power of submission. We don't understand that to be submissive isn't to be vulnerable, that being submissive isn't weakness, that being submissive doesn't mean that you just roll over. No, we think that being submissive is weak, but in reality, you have to be strong to submit. You have to be strong to turn the other cheek. You have to be secure to walk away. In fact, if you want to take it one step further, I would tell you, You are never more like Jesus 
than when you're submitted. Think about this. The most powerful moment of Jesus' life was seen in an act of submission. It was an act of submission that bought my salvation. It was an act of submission that delivered me from my sins. It was an act of submission that broke Satan's grip on my life. An act of submission that set me free. An act of submission that put away the law and ushered in grace. It was an act of submission. And I'm so glad scripture's clear that it was an act of submission because in case you don't know, the cross was settled long before the first nail was ever put through his hands. You can read about it in the Garden of Gethsemane. You know that story, right? Jesus is in the garden, and we see him struggling with submission. He prayed three times. Lord, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. He struggled with submission. It's crazy because like Jesus didn't struggle to heal people. He didn't struggle to walk on the water. He didn't struggle to turn water into wine. He, he didn't struggle to cast out demons. He, he, he didn't struggle to work miracles. When he healed somebody, he didn't try and heal them. He healed them on the first time. But when it comes to submission, he prayed three times. Three times is a lot of prayer for Jesus. I mean, I pray three times just to try and get out of bed in the morning to go work out. I'm like, God, you gotta help me. Lord Jesus, please give me the strength today. Holy Spirit, I am calling on you. I'm calling Father, Son, Holy Ghost just to get out of bed in the morning. But Jesus, he prays three times to be submitted to the will of God. And I just bring that up to say, if Jesus had to pray, to be submitted, it shouldn't surprise us when submission doesn't come easily to us. We're gonna have to pray. Because what I wanna show you is that submission isn't easy, but it's necessary. It's necessary for God's power in your life. That's what we see with Jesus' example in the garden, the centurion's need for a miracle. Because see, before God puts you over something, he first wants to see if you can handle being under something. He, he wants to see, can you be submitted? And that's why the second thing I wanna tell you is this, is that you need someone who knows you and you need someone who knows you. You need someone who knows you, but you also need somebody who knows you, N-O-S, who tells you no. So we talk about, a lot about relationships and the value of relationships and all of us need friends, all of us need people we depend on, we can depend on, people we can rely on, people who are gonna be there for us, all of us need that. But we also all need someone that we're submitted to. We also need people who can tell us no and we'll listen to them. I wonder, in your life, do you have somebody who can tell you no and you'll listen to them? Is there an authority figure in your life that 
you'll heed their advice. You'll heed their wisdom. Because all of us want to be in control. We don't have to try hard at this. It comes naturally. We just hooked up Alexa to my TV at home. Say, Alexa, you know, turn this on, turns on the TV, pulls up this show. She'll be like, oh, it sounds awesome. No, it's horrible. You know why it's horrible? Because my three-year-old daughter comes into the room and says, Alexa, play Frozen. <laughs> Alexa, play Moana. Alexa, play Cinderella. And the TV doesn't. We don't have to try hard to be in control. It comes naturally. We like the feeling of control. But when we recognize that before God can put you over something, he first has to make sure you can handle being under something. It brings a whole new way to look at leadership. Brings a whole new way to the way you view your relationships. See, it's not submission when you get asked to do something that you want to do. That's called agreement. That's called compliance. If I ask you to do something that you want to do, that, that's not Submission. No, submission is this. So, submission is when you want to go to Tarshish, but you got to go to Nineveh instead. So, submission is when you've already been anointed to be king, but you're still taking lunch to your brothers on the battlefield. Submission is when you think they want you to sing, but they want you to carry boxes instead. That's submission. It's a, submission shows up when you get asked to do something that you don't want to do. I wonder, can you run the play even if it's not the right play? And can you do it with the right heart? Because sometimes like what we do is, look, I know this is dumb, but they're asking us to do it. So we're just get, like, let's do it anyway because like, we just should do it. No, God's not going to honor that. Pretending to be David when you're really an Absalom on the inside. God's not going to honor that. Posturing yourself to look good. No, God gets us ready by putting us in situations where he wants to see how you're going to respond, what you're going to do. In fact, it seems to me like one of God's favorite ways to get you ready for authority is to put you under authority. It just seems like that's what he likes to do, to, to, to see if you, can lead, if you can be led. Because you can't lead if you can't be led. You, you, you can't be over something if you can't be under something. And it isn't comfortable. It often feels like it's limiting. It, it feels like we're being restricted. It feels like, man, if, you know, I had what they had, or if, if I, you know, I'm not being able to do the things that I really want to do, I'm not being able to do what I was born to do. But I've just noticed that often when God gets ready to do something really great, he usually doesn't add power and resource. He usually takes things away. See, in God's kingdom, the ingredients for a miracle are always within your reach. And lots of times what God is doing when he's putting you under authority that feels limiting, he's testing you to see if you'll work with what's already in your reach. Man, I wonder what would happen if in our marriages we really started 
being submissive to one another, which is the biblical model, by the way. Ephesians 5.21 says, submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. I wonder what would happen if in our families, instead of our kids always fighting for what's theirs and their share, their way, I don't want to eat that. They said, Mom and Dad, how can I serve you? I wonder what it would be like in our churches if everybody wasn't so obsessed with leadership and we had a house full of servants. I wonder what it would look like on the job if we weren't always fighting for our own way. I wonder how much richer our lives would be. And I, I know it's, as I'm saying this, many of you are thinking, well, yeah, but you don't know my situation. You don't know what my boss is like. You don't know what my spouse is like. You know what my parents are like. You, you don't know what this is like. I mean, this is, if you knew my situation, you wouldn't be saying what you're saying. And you know what, you're, you're right. I don't know your situation. They may be horrible. But I do know this. There's a third thing I have for you. Is that there's always a right response to wrong authority. There's always a right response to wrong authority. When authority fails, God is looking at our response. In fact, I want to read you a scripture about this because some of you might be like, I don't know if I agree with you on this because the tendency is the moment you start thinking of all the wrong authority in your head, you're going to be quick to go to all the excuses and shut me off about why this doesn't apply to you. And I'll tell you, like, Christians are the worst at this, by the way. Because, like, we will give you a chapter and verse for why we should be rebellious. Especially when it comes to somebody that is on the opposite end of the spectrum with politics. And we'll, we'll tell you why. Let me read this verse to you, Romans 13, 1 and 2. It says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. I, I know when I read that, you're probably thinking, well, yeah, that must be an ancient text that doesn't really apply to our situation today. Could I just point out to you this letter that Paul wrote is called the Book of Romans. It was written to Christians who were under Roman oppression. You might not know the history but of Roman oppression, but there was this guy by the name of Nero. Uh, Nero was known for his hatred of Christians. In fact, he loved to capture Christians and burn them alive. And this is the guy who was in power when Paul wrote, let everyone be subject to the governing authority. Now that's crazy. Does that mean that there's no such thing as justice? or just No, it's not saying any of that. What I'm trying to tell you and what Paul is saying is that your attitude towards human authority that you can see reveals your attitude about your heavenly father who you can't see. 
saying that our attitude needs to be one that respects authority, that honors authority. You might think this is impossible. How can anybody do this? Well, Jesus himself was not a stranger to this. He actually walked the earth during the time of Roman occupation. That's what was so fascinating about the centurion coming to him. In fact, there was one time that they tried to trap Jesus in this very debate. Because authority, your attitude for authority isn't tested when everything's going well, when they're doing what you want them to do. Whether it's your coach, your parents, your spouse, your pastor, your teacher, your boss, anybody who's in authority over you. It's not tested when they're doing what you want them to do. It's when you disagree. And so these people, they went to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this was really a trap for him because for, them to, for him to say, well, yeah, you should pay taxes to Caesar, well, that would violate and dishonor the Jewish law. Caesar saw himself as a God. Part of the taxes was worshiping him. It would have violated their law. And yet for him to say no, they were under Roman occupation, would have violated the laws of the day. So what did Jesus do? He took a coin and he asked a question. He said, whose inscription is on this coin? They said, Caesar's. He said, well, give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. In other words, he covered both bases. He said, you need to honor authority and you need to honor God. And this is the way you pass the authority test in your life. Not, not by fighting for your rights, pushing to change, challenge authority. Lots of times when we want to challenge authority, that's God wanting to challenge something in us. It's God wanting to change something in us. And I wonder what would happen if you would submit. That's what we see with the centurion is that it was through his act of submission that he got the miracle he needed for his servant. It could be that this thing, the submission thing, is the very thing that you need to bring the change in your life. It's not that you don't have the faith. It's that you don't have the heart to submit. It's that you're not willing to bow your head. But you know, God can't anoint you if you don't bow your head. God, God, God can't bless you if you're not willing to take a posture and say, God, your will, not my will. God, your way, not my way. God, I want what you want. God, they may be wrong, but I'm going to respond right. God, I'm gonna honor you by honoring them because we'll never get over those things that God wants to put us over unless we first get under what God has called us to be under. I wanna pray for each person here. I wanna say a prayer. There may be some of you here that this is the thing that God has wanted to work in your life right now. There's been some authority issues. And I'm not saying that they're a good authority. I'm not saying that they're a healthy authority. But you've resisted, you've rebelled, tried to fight for your own way, tried to push back against it. 
And God is saying, there's some stuff that I want to put you into, but I want you to respond right in this moment. I want you to honor me in this moment. I I, I want you to show me that I can trust you. For everybody here, that this is the test that you're going through, I want to say a prayer for you. With every head bowed, every eye closed.